Welcome to another edition of our podcast, Pitchside Expert. And once again, I'm joined by uh, two-time World Cup winning player, Australian player Tom Moody, uh, also a former coach of Sri Lanka and Sunrisers Hyderabad from a way down in Western Australia. And of course, Freddie Wilde, who is uh, an author, co-author of the wonderful piece of literature called Cricket 2.0, T20 Cricket 2.0. Uh, Freddie, welcome to you and hello. Hi, Bish. Thanks. Good to speak to you both again. Yeah, hi, Bish, and I uh, hope you're both well. And, um, you know, it's uh, been challenging times and continued sort of challenging times for all of us out there in this uh, very different world. Yeah, and then the other thing to add, and just a reminder of yours, is Freddie's, I suppose profession of not only being a writer, part-time writer, but a full-time analyst dealing with all the numbers, the analytical stuff, and, and makes a, an excellent contribution towards the game of cricket itself. Um, Tom, if I were to start with you and a statement you made in our last podcast, um, you talked about players who cross formats, trusting their technique, white ball players, who maybe haven't succeeded that much, and you identified a couple of names, just revisit that for me, those names and what you meant by trusting technique. Yeah, sure, Bish. Look, I think there's a, a number of exceptionally talented players that have been tested in uh, all formats of the game uh, and have had their struggles converting their white ball form, as in 2020 cricket form and 50 over cricket form, into test cricket when they've given those, uh, when they've been given that opportunity. Just to speak of a few, you've got Martin Guptill from New Zealand, you've got Jason Roy, Johnny Bairstow, Kale Rahul from India, uh, Rohit Sharma. I'll put in there as well. Uh, it's only been uh, of recent uh, times where uh, Rohit Sharma has really conquered test cricket but more at home than sort of on the road uh, and Aaron Finch from Australia that's just to give you a snapshot of a few um, players that have struggled to, to make that um, adaptation now I think there's a number of things at play I think technique is the standout issue uh, the technique of of uh, those batsmen uh, the freedom they have in white ball cricket against what happens more so in test cricket where they're analysed thoroughly um, uh, by a bowling attack and conditions. Uh, I think also the, the the mental side of it is a significant one as well, where they having the ability to trust, you know, their method, what has worked for them in short form cricket, to be able to transfer that confidence and that trust into the longer format is a, is a very difficult thing for players to do. And I think the final uh, one for me is is the trust of others in those players, whether it be the spectators, whether it be the media, or whether it even be the management around those players being strong enough to hold their nerve to be able to allow those players to flourish without being exposed too early. Freddie, from your point of view, having listened to, to Tom there with a great degree of interest. What has your research drummed up to corroborate or deny what Tom is saying? Well, 
across the last sort of 15 years there has been uh, the, the game of cricket across the three formats has changed massively because of the arrival of, of t20 cricket and i think we're beginning to see and moods touched on some of the names there um players struggling to adapt across the, di- the, the different three formats as they become um as they diverge and i think you can just even taking a glance at the icc rankings um, I just pulled some numbers or names together rather before we jumped on and started recording today. And, and just the number of players who are able to succeed in all three formats at the moment is quite low. In, in the batting rankings, I just listed the top 20 players in test ODIs and T20s. There are only six players who appear in the top 20 for all um, all three formats and only four players who are there for two formats. Other than that, there are, there are players who are specialists, if you like, in that particular format or in certainly in red and white ball. And when you move into bowling, um, it's a similar story. There are only two bowlers um, who are who are in the top 20 for, for the bowling rankings in Test, ODI and T20s and five bowlers who do the same. Um, so what we're seeing there is, is the, the those numbers or those rankings bear out the difficulty in being a multi-format player in the modern game. And I think it's something that, as I touched on there, it has come around as a result of the T20 format. Um, About 20 years ago, uh, or or, or further into the past, into the 20th century, I think there was a a considerable crossover um, between Test and ODI cricket. A lot of the players who had success in Test matches adapted fairly well in white ball cricket as well. Yeah, no, I was, I was just going to add to that, and that, it's an interesting point you make, um, and that is, I know certainly in Australia, uh, 50 over cricket in the 80s and the 90s was at times used as a vehicle to blood the next generation of test players. Um, you know, this was well before T20 arrived, and now that's re- that mindset has completely changed, where... You know, a lot of players are struggling, as we're talking about, um, making that switch from one format to the next. Uh, and I think, I think just to, to, to finish the point, it, it was that as time has gone on and as the T20 format um, arrived, initially in the early years, ODI cricket was almost like a bridge between Test cricket and, and, and T20. But over the last probably 10 years or so, I feel like ODIs have been dragged towards t20 by a lot of the skills that have come to prominence in the shortest format power hitting uh, mystery spin 360 degree scoring odis have become less like uh, short test matches and more like long t20s and so they've been pulled away from the test format and it's made it harder therefore the skills required of players i think are diverging so much so that white ball and red ball cricket are increasingly very very different um, and as a result, then, when someone has success in white ball cricket, moods, um, as you said, in the 80s, Australia might have used that as a sort of format to, to then pick their test players from that. And while I think that still happens it, it, nowadays, like we, for example, Jason Roy was picked for the Ashes last year, basically off the back of a fantastic World Cup. And they thought, look, this guy can take the attack to the likes of Stark and Cummins. He tried to make the switch across. And for a number of reasons, um, which we'll talk about uh, across the show, he, he, he didn't manage to, to succeed in test cricket. And I think fundamentally the reason for that is that the games are more different. White and red ball cricket are far more different now than they ever have been. Well, just just on Moods' point there, Tom, if we go back, Australia built, I remember the World Cup uh, before that you guys won, Australia won in 86, 87. 
Um, yeah, before I sort of started coming into international cricket and had a chance, I didn't play, but had a chance to play. Well, a lot of that foundation was built on rotation of strike and running between the wickets. Would that be correct or, or not? A lot of the batting success. In that early World Cup campaign? Yeah. Yeah, yeah look, absolutely. I think I've mentioned in one of our previous podcasts um, around... Um, uh, Bob Simpson and the influence that he had in the 80s yeah. in the Australian team. And, and what Bob Simpson brought was that sort of professional edge that cricket hadn't really or hadn't really been exposed to. Um, and the, the, one of those elements was the physicality of the game. It was being fitter, being stronger. There's more urgency with the way that you, you ran between the wickets. There was more uh, physical... Um, competitiveness in the field so you know people were diving around more there was a lot more athleticism around the field there's more specialist roles within the field uh, uh, placements as because specialist fielders in specialist areas and they would train accordingly that's very common practice now you know you you, you, you if you're a team whether you be a international team right down to a club team you know every everyone is trying to sort of mirror mirror that type of uh, behavior but certainly in the mid mid 80s to late 80s um i think australia were pioneers in that area where they they started to get those wheels in motion yeah and i think just what i pick up from freddie's point is building particularly or specifically from the batting side because we used to be as players as a team looking at australia and how they ran between the wickets and freddie's point is that there's probably more aggression more power hitting uh, risk-taking, uh, boundary reliance in the white ball format today. And with that comes specific risks and needs to... You mentioned Jason Roy, you mentioned uh, Johnny Bairstow and his problems of getting bowled more significantly in the last two, three, uh, four years through the gate than he did previously. Aaron Finch is another one who is tremendous in white ball cricket and struggled a touch in his test match career. And for me, from a bowling perspective, I just think, guys, that and, and for our listeners, the divergence that Freddie's talking about, one component of it is this. Test match cricket, particularly with the pitches that have been played on in recent years, which without a shadow of a doubt, uh, have become more bowler friendly in the Caribbean in the last two or three seasons. We've had very well grass pitches. Uh, we've had a different ball being used, which we'll touch on a little bit later in the show. And a lot of those guys that we talked about, sometimes Johnny Bairstow, Tom and Freddie and listeners batted at the top of the order, but he's been shuffled up and down. Joss Butler maybe has batted in that middle order, but most of the other names, you can talk about Shea Hope, um, KL Rahul, they bat in that one, two, three position. And with the way the new ball moves about on these pitches, I think it's difficult for opening batsmen or number three batsmen, top order in that one, two, three position to go hard at the ball continuously, um, not have a refined defensive technique. And I I struggle to see how guys that we just named, unless they change their mindset, unless they change and alter their technique. You talked last week, 
in our podcast about Virat Kohli tempering himself in England to find success there. I just think bowlers are going to be too hard in these conditions to get away unless you have a tighter technique. Yeah, look, I'd 100% agree with you there, Bish. And I think just just for our listeners' um, sake, the way that that I understand it and my take uh-huh. on it is, uh-huh. is based around uh, what a player is looking to do in white ball cricket. They're looking to power the ball through the field or over the field. Now, to do that effectively, consistently, there has to be a lot of bottom hand. And what right. tends to happen with a lot of those players that we've mentioned already is that they're brought up mastering that that, that power game and therefore engaging that bottom hand a lot earlier and, and very effectively. And what that does, once you engage your bottom hand in your technique, your hands naturally move away from your body. So in searching for power, your hands move away from your body. Therefore, at times, your head can also fall over that offside. And therefore, it leaves not only a gap between where your hands are and your body and your front pad is, and also your head is out of line of the line of the delivery. So if the ball does swing or seem back, you're in a very vulnerable position to be bold, LBW. You can get beaten on both outside and the inside edge. So the challenge for these power players is to be able to adapt their technique from format to format. Now, it's interesting. I had this similar conversation with David Warner about three years ago, and he volunteered this information to me where... I was asking him what he was what he was working on pre one IPL season about three years ago, and what it was was he was bringing his hands back out into a power position in readiness for an IPL season, so he could power the ball to his favoured areas against where in Test cricket he tries to keep his hands in a lot tighter. So it therefore brings his technique into a nice little neat package. He's still got the, the power game, but not to the extreme that we've seen him unfold in T20 cricket. So I think he has recognised and been guided down the right path with regards to how he can work one format and then also be able to be just as effective in another format in a different gear where these other players, I, th- I think they're still fighting their way with their techniques to make that work. And just, just, just to I jump in. Want to come in. Yeah, go on ahead. Go, no, go on, Bish. Go on, Bish. No, j- just, just, just to build on that, I'm looking at the time frame as well in between. I mean, cricket is so condensed. We've got three formats now as opposed to just two uh, from a couple of decades ago. So the transition time, even for a bowler, in between formats to readjust with those technical things. Because remember from a bowling point of view, and I'll try to be concise with this, you are trying to bowl maybe in one method or a specific length in one day cricket in a wide ball tournament. Then you might go into a few T20 games if you're a cross-format player. And then you have to come into a test match and reshape that. I'm looking at guys like Shea Hope. Uh, some good players like KL Rahul, who are excellent, stylish players. Rohit Sharma, very easy on the eye. But there are chinks there in their technique that get found out 
when they come back into a test match in certain conditions. I know people will say Rohit Sharma has dominated test cricket, but he's dominated recently at home, where sometimes the pitches are not conducive to a lot of exaggerated seam movement. So I want to make that clear. Uh, Freddie, go ahead. Well, yeah, and it's, it was building on point the, the points that both of you made there. And, and, and essentially what we're talking about here is the, the fact that the different formats demand of batsmen we're talking about but I think we're also we will move on to bowlers as well and Bish you sort of touched on it they demand different techniques different methods of playing and that's fundamentally because and this is a bit of a generalization but I think it does apply in T20 cricket and lesser extent ODI cricket the batsmen are the guys who are doing the attacking that is their primary job they're looking to score the bowlers in white ball cricket although not exclusively, are sort of considered in a way the defence. They're, they're trying to stop runs being scored. In test matches, it's the other way around. So in test matches, you're, as a batsman, you're primarily focused on survival and you accrue runs as you do that. You defend, when you look at shot type data that we've got at CrickViz, in test matches, you defend more than half. Your, you're, you're not trying to score off more than half your deliveries. In T20 cricket, the opposite is of the case. And it's that fundamental shift from being a run scorer to a defender, I suppose, that I think is, is at the very foundation of why you have different techniques for the different or you or different techniques are more effective in different formats and moods. You talk there about that power position um, and being able to get your hands away from your body to hit through the line of the ball. That is fundamentally uh, what is needed in, in white ball cricket, but it is almost the enemy in a way in, in red ball cricket. And I think that gets to the crux of the problem. Um, it's the, the 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 different roles that are required of the different formats. And and just to go back to a point that I made at the top of the show, ODI cricket traditionally was the bridge between the two. And I think it sort of merges attack and defence from a batting perspective. You're not overwhelmingly attacking or you're not overwhelmingly defending traditionally. But in the last 10 years or so, we've seen scoring rates in ODI cricket skyrocket. We've moved from sort of five and over up towards, you know, now... 300 in, in some conditions is, is nowhere near enough. And I think that as a result, ODI cricket has become more attack orientated and that bridge between the two is perhaps weakened. And that's why maybe now it is harder to adapt from being a white ball player to a test player because ODI cricket is less of a merge of the two and is more like T20 cricket. Didn't you also have some, some numbers, Freddie, to illuminate the lack of significant movement in one day international pitches which have gotten flatter over the decades yeah 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 so uh, and, and you spoke there about how in test cricket we have we're in an era where pitches are becoming more difficult um that that's certainly true i think particularly in, in asia pitches are spinning more and in the caribbean actually pitch i mean the, the you know it's the home of fast bowling we've seen the pitches in the caribbean particularly well not so much in the last couple of years but over sort of the 21st century have certainly become more conducive to spin bowling as well um but so in test cricket pitches have got harder and in white ball cricket as you said there's less movement um on offer and, and despite the fact that we've now got two new balls in odis um, they, they do less. They, 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 swing, they swing less than they used to. It, between 2006 and 2009, uh, we saw 0 0.83 degrees of swing movement. Since 2015, it's down to 0 0.65. That's a significant drop-off of swing movement in ODI cricket. So despite the fact there are two new balls, the ball is moving less through the air. Pitches are, are also doing less, and the boundaries have been brought in. So we talk about the divergence of formats. The divergence of conditions is at the heart of that. Test cricket, batting is becoming harder. ODI cricket 
it is becoming easier. And I think that is sort of fundamental to, to what we're talking about today. So, Tom, if, 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 if I focus just for one more minute on this, someone like a Shehope, who I know very well, one of the questions I'd like to ask him, I mean, there are rivers and torrents of runs flowing in white ball cricket for him, for example, as well as KL Rahul and Rohit Sharma. And for Shehope, I know that, for example, he's trying hard in test match cricket but it just hasn't been happening recently. One question I'd like to ask him when next I see him again, is he allowing the ball to come to him when he gets into a test match or is he still going for it, reaching for it as he would do in white ball cricket with the time gap so small, minimal now between the change of format and you're talking three formats. Yeah, look, How it's, much of a it, challenge is that? Yeah, it's it's an interesting interesting uh, point, and it'd be a, a fascinating discussion to have. Um, and w- one of the things I'd be intrigued to talk to him about would be, or anyone in that category that you're referring to, yeah. is have they got a, a, a concrete understanding of their method, their process to how they build an innings in Test cricket. Mm. It's easier, the shorter the format, to have a simple method. Um, one of the best players in Australia over the past 10 years in T20 cricket, in IPL cricket and Big Bash cricket, has been Sean Marsh by a distance. But Sean Marsh has got a very clear understanding of what his method is in T20 cricket, how he builds an innings and how he can destroy an opponent. He has a similar method in 50-over cricket, but in test cricket, at times, he can he can look a little bit lost. And to me, it's, it's understanding what is that method, what are the key ingredients for that consistency, and being consistent with that with that ingredients and that method so you you, every time you walk out to bat it doesn't look anything different it should look the same every single time and if you cast your, uh, your 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 body back to 30 years when you're at the top of your mark i'm sure at the beginning of a test match you would run in with the same mindset as you would do any other day, any other month, any other year. It's it's the same approach. It's about your rhythm. It's about your gather. It's about getting it through to the to the keeper over that off stump. But you know, cr- cricket can create a lot of challenges, and 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 those challenges are more often not the mental challenges. We move on to bowling in a minute. I mean, the guys who've succeeded at it, Freddie, the Virat Kohlis, uh, Kane Williamson, to a lesser extent, uh, to show you how challenge David Warner has been a success at it. I went back to 2000 until now, and there are power players, just Rhea, uh, we can talk about. Um, Chris Gale uh, is another one who succeeded across three formats. Uh, I'm thinking Verinda Sewag, uh, the former Indian batsman who was tremendous in test match cricket and transitioned formats relatively well. So there have been success stories. <laughs> I looked at CWAG's numbers, and, and if we call the three hardest players, places to bat, Tom will know more about this than I would. The three toughest places, I think, to bat, and conversely, easier to bowl in. England, 
lovely place to bowl for me. Tough place to bat at the top of the order. Let's specify that at the top of the order. New Zealand, a lot of the time, very difficult place as an opening batsman or a top three batsman. Sewag struggled in both of those. South Africa can be notoriously difficult for an opening batsman or number three without the skill. Sewag struggled there to an extent. Sanajasuria and one or two others. Chris Gale, on the other hand, dominated more in those conditions than he did in slower conditions. So it does set up the point about technique. From a bowling perspective, if, we, if I just shift this, there was a time maybe about 20 years ago, and even when I was playing a little earlier than that, where in white ball cricket, especially in the flatter conditions, you try to deny giving room to batsmen very early in the inning. So you were looking a lot to push the ball in towards the stumps, looking to attack pads and stumps and deny room. And what I found and what a number of bowlers at the time found was that you picked up little habits, maybe unconsciously at times, playing multiple white ball tournaments or limited overs cricket because sometimes it was played with a red ball in the earlier days. And coming back into test match cricket, you needed to retransition your length to a more attacking length or your lines to a more off stump and outside line. And there are bowlers, including myself, who found a little bit of a struggle very early once you created muscle memory for one facet of the game into another. No, I think, though, it's slightly different because as much as, Freddie, you talked about the rise in the numbers, I think fast bowlers are being given the mandate to attack more, to bowl more attacking lengths, to use the short ball, to get the ball up there, to try to swing it when there's swing available. So I think in the last decade or so, the transition between formats has been slightly easier faster bowlers compared to batsmen or spin bowlers that's something i'd like to throw out there and i'm not saying i'm absolutely right but that's the feeling that i had that recently fast bowling has a more attacking style which is almost giving them a license to get a transition easier back into to test match cricket yeah, look, I'd, I'd agree with that, um, and a lot of it's to do with the point that Freddie was making about the, the, the dramatic increase uh, of runs per over and to therefore totals in ODI cricket and T20 cricket, where the value of of depriving the opposition batting unit of runs is now outweighed with the value of taking their wickets. So and Bill Steen said that to you last time, didn't he? Yes, yes. So, and he's recognised that as well personally, that he wished that he had his time again where he would, you know, he could run in with that attacking mindset and just look to take wickets, get it up there, swing it, bowl quick, bowl the bounces with freedom. And I think that it's quite clear that that, that style of, of bowling is a lot more effective because if you can have your opponent three or four down and under pressure because of the wickets that have fallen uh, is a lot more effective than their run rate being controlled because you know that if they've still got wickets in hand with 20 overs left in the contest, you're still staring down the barrel for 350. 
I wonder if that's a, a, a specific thing to ODIs. We looked at, um, in, in one of the earlier shows, we looked at spin bowlers, um, and we noted how in the T20 rankings, it's generally dominated by spinners. Um, but actually, in ODIs and in tests, well, certainly in tests, we, uh, pace bowlers are dominant. Um, but, but ODI bowlers kind of buck the trend of what we've been talking about today in, in the sense that you do see some quick bowlers nowadays in that list of the top one-day bowlers rather than spinners. And I wonder whether that comes back to in T20, whether spinners are sort of the, the ultimate defensive I suppose defensive. I want to be careful saying that word because I do know they they are used as an attacking option as well. But 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 they they are the ultimate run containers in T20 cricket. But as you said, that we were just talking about there in ODI cricket, we've seen teams look for wickets a lot more. And the 2015 World Cup was sorry, sorry the 2019 World Cup last year was marked by that, particularly the use of the short ball from guys like Lockie Ferguson. Um, you know, coming in through the middle overs as sort of enforcers and basically acknowledging the only way to stop these guys in a 50 over game is to get them out. They've got time. If, you, if, they, bat, if they bat for 10, 15 overs in a 50 over game, Joss Butler's going to cause serious damage. You might, you might be able to possibly restrict him in a T20 match, but in ODIs, um, you've got to take wickets. And maybe that's why we've seen pace bowlers um, have a little bit more success, or not success, but be a bit more prominent among the top ranked bowlers um, in ODIs, because there has been an emphasis, as you said, Bish, it's an excellent point, on actually being attacking and looking for wickets. And maybe that's why, of all the three areas, if we're going to break it into batting, spin bowling and pace bowling, pace bowling is the one that actually at the moment seems to maybe be doing sort of or being most effective at succeeding across the three. And one other thing I'd like to add to that is a fast ball, 90mph 90, 90 plus, 140k, is quick whatever the format. So it doesn't yeah. matter whether you're playing T20 or test matches, that will be an effective way of, of going about stopping a batsman because no one likes to face high pace. Um, and that's why maybe, uh, Bish, I pose it to you as a former quick bowler, that's, that's why quicks are managing to sort of adapt slightly more effectively. Yeah, I think that, that was my point. Um, and I, I, if I'll just go back uh, to a little story, an experience I had, for example, with Dwayne Bravo when he was captain of the West Indies for a brief period. In 2014, I think when they were playing against Bangladesh here in the Caribbean, um, there were little discussions between Bravo, who was leading the team, and the selectors because Bravo wanted a certain style of bowler. For example, Darren Sammy, who's medium pace, and this is not a criticism of Darren Sammy, but he would be what you term a more defensive bowler in 50 over cricket. Um, and maybe someone at the time who used the new ball well was a Jason Holden. Bravo wanted certain types of bowlers who would be able to get him wickets right across the 50 overs rather than someone who could come and bowl 10 overs for maybe 30 or 35 or 40 and not really take a wicket or maybe just take one wicket. And I think that spilled off of Brendan McCollum's way of doing things when he led New Zealand as well. Uh, so I'm all for the theory that 50 over cricket and that change of mode has helped faster bowlers. But if we then go to the spinners, the problem and the challenge really I think we probably have one spinner in the top 10 of the test match bowling scenario. Maybe uh, in T20 cricket, it's the reverse. And I just think, and I think we can discuss this now, for the spinner, batsmen are always coming at you in T20 cricket primarily looking to attack uh, even across the 50 over game now. So the spinner who can 
basically turn it in both directions. Even the finger spinner doesn't have, and I think Tom touched on it in previous discussions, to do as much because half the job is done for him. Whereas conversely in a test match, there are several things you have to do. You have to go longer spells. That means you have to be fitter. Batsmen have as much time or more time. They can defend a lot more. They don't have to come at you. So now as a spinner, you have to try to create the wicket-taking opportunities. Um, there's more pressure with silly points, slips, guys around the bat. So you don't have as many boundary riders at times. You bowl a bad ball, it goes for four. So the spinner has to be more guileful, fitter, bowl longer spells, be more patient in tests, whereas... Tom, to your point, half the job is done for you in, in maybe T20 cricket. Yeah, look, it's a, it is a very interesting one. And the, it, the, the spinners, I think, uh, the style of spinners that survive, not survive, that dominate T20 cricket are uh, really the, the opposite to the ones that are dominating test cricket. The, 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 the two leading test spinners we'd have to say is Ravi Chatterin, Ashwin, Ashwin and Nathan Lyon. Um, they are by far the most effective spinners. Um, and you can argue all day long who you feel is the, the better of those two in test cricket. Um, but they traditionally have been squeezed out of the shorter form of the game. Uh, I think in Lyon's case, initially it was... They didn't want him to lose the, the the rhythm of Test cricket in the style of his bowling, and therefore they didn't want him to bowl quicker. They didn't want him to bowl slightly shorter, which tends to happen the shorter the format you play, because you become you 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 really turn into more of a defensive spin bowler against the attacking one you want in Test cricket. Um, Important and, point that. Yeah, and. With the T20 spinners, the most effective ones are the ones that have a little mystery around them, the ones that batsmen don't read, that turn it both ways, can bowl it very quickly off an awkward length, and therefore batsmen are guessing when they're looking to attack because primarily that's their job, is that they've got to try to attack these bowlers, and therefore they're your biggest wicket-takers. Just to reinforce some, some of the, with some numbers or some rankings around that, Bish, Talking about the, the spinners in, in in the top ten of the rankings, the only one um, near the top ten in tests is Ashwin, who's just outside. Um, but in T20s, the top nine, I'll read them out: Rashid Khan, Mujib, Zampa, Agar, Shamsi, Santner, Imad, Adil Rashid, and Shadab Khan. Then you get Chris Jordan at number ten. So that just shows there clearly that the spinners. I think that the, the debate we're having today is more applicable to spinners than it is to any other discipline. Um, it is now it is exceptionally difficult to be a red and a white ball spinner for the reasons that that moods just just spoke about. And, and just to, to go back quickly, and this does apply to spinners, too. Um, when I when I was researching um, my book, I spoke to AJ Ty, who I think summed it up really nicely. The challenge of adapting from red to white ball. He said in red ball cricket, the challenge for a fast bowler is you need to be consistently consistent. But in T20 cricket, the challenge is to be consistently inconsistent. And, and I think by that, he means, you know, in test cricket, it's a, I think uh, Jason Gillespie said this as well. When we spoke to, the, spoke to him for the book. It's a, you're, it's a battle for that sort of 
40 centimetre square area on a length just outside off stump. That is basically the area of test cricket. You have got you, the bowler is just trying to hit that area, and if the batsman misses it, they'll try and score runs. That is the challenge. And in T20 cricket, if you continue to bowl the same ball again and again, you're going to be punished. And a good example of that, um, Stuart Broad, probably one of the finest modern day test bowlers. Um, obviously, in 2007, he rocks up to, to bowl to Yuvraj Singh. And whilst the balls weren't identical, he bowled six similar-ish balls on a length that in test matches would have been excellent deliveries, probably, there or thereabouts. But as we all know what happened, it was just, you know, the over was dispatched for, for six sixes. And I think that, that encapsulates the problem facing, um, you know, we said that pace bowlers have managed to adapt a bit more effectively. But I do think that the challenge um, is difficult for them too, and particularly outside the power play in T20 cricket. I think in the power play, the skills that are relevant in test cricket probably can endure. You see your likes of Deepak Chahar try and hit a good length and move the ball both ways. Jason Berendorf, another really good power play bowler. David Willey even. I know he's not a red ball bowler, but the idea is you pitch it up and try and look for movement and try and bring the batsman forward and get him driving. That's what you do in test cricket. But then outside the power play, the game changes. Then it's about deception. It's about inconsistency, I suppose. And it's about trying to not be predictable. Um, and that's where, again, we spoke about the challenges for test batsmen and essentially doing different things, attacking and defending. Um, the same happens in, in white ball and particularly T20. As the innings progresses as a bowler, you become increasingly concerned by defence. Yeah, and then the other thing that we we probably didn't get into much is the type of ball, but that's from a seam bowling point of view. The, the Duke's ball that is used, we touched on it only briefly, I think you did, Freddie, which attracts or extracts a lot more movement um, than the Kookaburra ball, which is used in white ball cricket, which is almost sort of null and void after a few overs. And to me, that's another important factor if we don't digress from the spin uh, too much, because I think there are many variables when a spinner comes back into test match cricket. Tom, longer spells are needed is a key thing, your fitness standards. I think those are underestimated things. The ability to be more patient um, with a good length rather than short of a length for a spinner. And you talked about Nathan Lyon and why they've kept him away from, from maybe T20 cricket. Just get into that a little bit more for me. Yeah, look, I, I made the point in one of our very early podcasts and you had a bit of a laugh at me <laughs> for making this point <laughs> around being the artist. And, and, and I firmly believe this with spin bowling. Um, to, to bowl in test cricket, you've only got a pure blank canvas and you, the bowler, have to create the, the moment. You have to create the picture. In T20 cricket and 50 over cricket, in a way that picture is nearly stenciled out for you. All you need to do is colour those spaces in and do that effectively to create a masterpiece. So a masterpiece for a test match for a spin bowler is so much harder. Uh, and to, to, to draw on those skills, you need patience, you need skill, obviously. You need to be able to turn the ball and turn the ball consistently off a consistent area to be able to bring your set field into place. The price of a batsman's wicket is so much higher and the batsman knows that himself. So therefore, his appetite for risk is not the same 
as his appetite for risk would be in T20 cricket. So, you know, there's so much more against the spin bowler because he's having to create the, 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 the pressure, create the opportunity, whether it be on the inside of the bat or the outside of the bat, have the right field set, bowling at the right pace off. And that pace is going to be different from venue to venue because of the, you know, the, the surface itself. There's so many different things that a spinner has to consider in test cricket where half the job's done in T20 and, and 50 over cricket for a spinner. And we say all of this for our listener to to just lay out how difficult the challenge is. One, we started with a batsman and what his challenges are cross-format because of the ball, because of the pitches, because of the nature of the game. Uh, what the faster bowlers have to contend with and maybe they're finding it slightly easier. Not dead simple because you've got your outliers and someone like a Neil Wagner who bowls a lot of short deliveries, but who is not preferred for New Zealand in white ball cricket, rightly or wrongly. And then we transition into some of the challenges. It's not a comprehensive overview. I just want to let our, our listeners know that. All the reasons are not sort of laid out before you hear there'll be others. Now, I feel that based on all of that, I don't know if you guys have any other points. I just think it's tremendously difficult. I, I really do feel that it's tremendously difficult for those players. And I think it's going to become even more so to be able to transition across formats. I'm not surprised when we see guys specializing more and more now for various reasons to say, or being specialized to say, you're a Red Bull champion, as in the case of several players, and these are our white ball guys, and it seems to be working. But I think the technical changes and demands are only going to exacerbate and become more apparent to me personally in and every to, case but a few. And, and they're going to perpetuate each other. So we're talking here about how spinners bowl, or we did in episode one in particular, and we touched on it briefly then, how spinners bowl fundamentally different lengths in T20 cricket to test cricket and how pace bowlers will bowl lots of slower balls in T20 and compared to test, for example. Now, if you're a batsman in T20 cricket, you're essentially facing increasingly different bowling as you go into the different formats. So as, as the bowl, fundamentally, as the bowling becomes more different, the challenge that the batsmen are having to face is going to become more different. So the, the, the changes uh, are going to continue to perpetuate one another. If you're a test batsman and you're practicing facing a spinner, you're practicing facing a spinner, dropping it on the same area again and again. But in, test, in T20, you're looking at a far shorter length. And so the, the, as, as one discipline changes, it is only going to accelerate changes in another. So for, for, I completely agree with you, Bish. What we're seeing is we've seen a, a, a rapid and, and significant divergence over the last 10 years. I only see that becoming greater in the following 10 years as we see skills specialize more and more uh, in the different formats. Well, to, to me, that's the, the great challenge that the governing body um, has of our game is to, to make both formats, and I'm, I'm just gonna call them both because I'm talking about white ball cricket and test cricket, as appealing and as, if I could use this word, sexy as each other. 
because do you want to be a test superstar or you do do you want to be a white ball superstar i'd like to think that we can as a game continue to make them both relevant both attractive for young players our next generation to think well I want to conquer the Everest of Test cricket and I want to be the best Test cricketer because there's so many challenges to that. But equally, I I love the fast lane of white ball cricket and I want to dominate that format as well. I think that's a, a, a noble aspiration and I hope that that is something that the, the administrators seek to do. I think it will be very difficult. <laughs> for a number of reasons and obviously there are huge you know we haven't really even touched on the sort of off-field financial challenges and incentives involved in this and we all know that players who play in t20 competitions are on the whole far more likely to earn significantly more money than those who focus on red Bull. but even then it's you know in a way the era that this has happened in couldn't have come at a worse time for test matches we touched there on how Pitches now are so hard for test matches. If ever you wanted a time to try and find a way to make these T20 guys feel at home in the test format, it's not now. Because now is the time when it's so difficult to be a test batsman because, as we said, the ball's moving around loads and there's a golden era of fast bowling. And, you know, it's, you know there are some really interesting case studies that we'll see over the next couple of years. We mentioned them at the top. K.R. Rahul, Aaron Finch, Johnny Bairstow, Jason Roy, Josh Butler, Martin Guptill. Will any or some of them make the, the, the leap and try and, and, and ultimately succeed in being red and white ball players? I think that this, they, they are, in a way, they could be indicative of, of how the following decade and, and the future after that unfolds. Only the best will survive, in, in my view, um, even from a bowling perspective. And I look at the guys who have succeeded as we come to an end here and we talk Tom and, and Tom talked about barbarism and his technique. It's it's almost along with Kane Williamson and Virat Kohli, slight differences. Um, Steve Smith has been a, a totally different technique and maybe a slightly different level of success across formats. But for Baba, um, Virat Kohli, it's a very simple technique that lends itself to easily transitioning, but those players are so very rare um, in, in the international game. Uh, again, I'll I'll say I, I think guys will struggle uh, to do that, and we're going to find, as you, I agree with you, Fred, we're going to find that that diversion and that specialization a lot more. So any final points in closing? Have we covered everything? I think we've uh, we've covered it pretty well, but we could go into further, further detail. And I, I look forward to hearing what our listeners' views are as well, Bish. Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's, it, no, nothing really more to add other than th- th- this particular debate. For me, it is one of the things that fascinates me most about the modern game. And I think it's, and, and, and what we just touched on at the end there with regards to the administrators it's not only about skills. This is about the future of the formats. We want, you know, if we, if, if all three formats, or particularly red and white ball, are to survive, um, I think that we want the world's best players playing in 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 both red and white ball. And and this um, ongoing debate will shape the future of the game. I don't think it's any exaggeration to say that. Um, and and that's you know super interesting, um, and poses big challenges for guys like Moods working with these players who are going to try and make them <laughs> succeed across across multiple formats. You read my mind. I was just going to end on this note that, Freddie, I compliment you because you as an analyst has transitioned after your comment about Cheteshwar Pujara. 
in the last game, given that you wrote extensively on T20 cricket in a great book. Um, you have shown as the baby of the team the, the ability to transition. Compliments to you. <laughs> Moods, my heart goes out to you, and I wonder, it's no surprise why there seems to be a specialization even in the coaching ranks, apart from the very best coaches who are able to coach across formats. My, my heart really goes out to your profession, given the demands and multiplicity of skills you have to bring to the table. Um, for commentators as well, Moods, you've been there, you've got across formats. And I want to just tease to the next podcast. And I wonder, Freddie and Tom, if in our next podcast, we can touch on which team in the world game has the greatest upside to them when cricket resumes across the different formats. Thank you very much for listening to Pitchside Experts. We hope that you've enjoyed it. We welcome your feedback uh, as you listen to this. Any points of clarity that you want to bring, any additions, we welcome it. Thanks for listening.